Welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast, where strategic leaders get straight to the topics, strengthening our awareness and sharpening our minds. The Pin Leader Podcast is produced by Roar, a production division of Maze and Associates LTD. Find out more at www.mazeassociatesltd.com. Now here is your award-winning host, Dr. Shan DeGore. And welcome to the Pin Leader Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about balancing time. And I have with me Jason Levine, who has a bachelor in sociology from the University of Michigan, a law degree from Lewis and Clark. He's been an attorney for over 12 years, and he started and is a partner in Liebenthal Levine. We're going to be talking about something interesting that has really nothing to do with law, but has to do with balancing time. And this is fascinating because of another point on his resume. He's also the former president of the University of Michigan Archaeology Club. And thinking, well, how did you select Jason? But Jason's got such a great background and varied in so many interests and really is true champion in how to balance time. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being called champion. It's a work in progress. The reality is <laughs> when you're trying to learn to balance time, you have to be cognizant of it at all times and you have to constantly work at it because the demands on your time aren't always shift on you. Well, I think about your accomplishments. You have so many of them and some of them are so varied and interesting. I would not have thought, well, this is what you would be doing as a lawyer, especially your firm, your work in business, so you're balancing quite a bit and helping other companies balance. And as a leader, uh, you're probably showing as an example of how to balance time even in your own office. But can you talk about some of the cool things that you do to balance your time? Sure. So let's talk about both, I guess, internally and from a coaching perspective. So we, many of us have an idea of what we think an attorney does, myself included when I went to law school. As a practical matter, though, the practice of law is about 50% law and 50% of just helping people through coaching tools and coping mechanisms and things of that nature. So a lot of working with entrepreneurs is, yes, they want your guidance on legally what can they and could they not do or should they put in their contracts or should they leave out. But often they also just want another sounding board to help work through their leadership style, issues they're having with their team, issues they're having with their vendors. So it ultimately boils down to a lot of counseling. Mm. which is why often you've heard attorneys referred to as counselors, um, because that is a lot of what we do. So I, I don't want to create a false impression. Absolutely, we are lawyers. We went through the whole process. But about half of our day is spent just helping people without using the legal background, but instead using our business background. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of your accomplishments in that? Can you think of you know, how with that balancing, that being a counselor slash the legally uh, in a situation, what's accomplishment look like for you? So accomplishment for me is merely helping the client reach their goal. So my favorite fact pattern for feeling like I really accomplished something really comes on the business side when you're helping an entrepreneur exit their business. When you're helping them get to that stage where they're looking to actually sell either strategically to private equity, to their own employees, but helping them mentally, legally, and financially prepare for what life looks like no longer as the official leader of their organization. It's such a long journey, and you build phenomenal relationships as you're working through that. 
that it tends to cover so much more than just what's the contract say in the law. It's when should I communicate with my team that I'm going to do this? Um, how should I talk to that customer of mine that I've had for 35 years that I'm no longer going to be the person they're talking to? How do I make sure if we're doing an internal transfer that the next generation of leaders within our company, sometimes being family business and the next generation of our families, are ready for this step, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is so rewarding to help them work through those transitions. Mm-hmm. In your own experience, because you've started and you are a partner in your own law firm, You've actually been in that position, I think, of some transition and then balancing that time with personal as well as with helping others. Yeah, that was a big flashpoint for me career-wise. I was working for a large firm, and me and the team I was primarily working with, while we enjoyed where we were working, we just had a slightly different entrepreneurial mindset that we wanted to put into play. So while we had phenomenal time working where we were, we thought it was time to try this on our own. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't tell you, but most entrepreneurs understand is the second you're choosing to start a business in the early stages and continuing, you have two jobs, which means you have to figure out that time balance. Job number one is the one we always think about. That is what is the product or service we are providing and how do we provide that in a manner that our end users want. But the part that often gets ignored and it's the easiest part to back burner is job number two. How do I actually lead the internal part of our business that has nothing to do with our product or service? Mm. How do I make sure that our team is functioning as a team, that they have whatever benefits they're supposed to have, that whatever things that we think of as more administrative in nature continue to occur while you're still trying to deliver that top-notch product or service? So inherently, the second you become an entrepreneur, even ignoring any other aspect of your life, you are now put into this time balance equation of if I only want to work X number of hours a week, how much can be spent on the end line user versus how much needs to be spent administratively. Mm-hmm. So even before you start factoring in personal lives, interests, families, other commitments in the community, you have that internal balance to figure out within your entity itself, which is the easiest part to overlook in the beginning. I know when we do a number of sessions, business coaching, we find that even asking the question, well, have you thought about how many hours do you want to work? How many hours do you want to put toward fun family time? And I've had varied answers come back to me where, well, I, I do, I do it until the job is done. You know, I'm going to keep on that project and, and it sounds like a sales pitch but it's not really true to their family. And so, so you're you saying that you're going to put the project ahead of the family. And then they start to think about it like, well, no, maybe that's not, maybe that's not what I meant. What I meant was, and so that thinking that through is so critically important. And I think that internal look is, especially as a leader is important. Well, it's such an easy step to skip because inherently if you've created a business for yourself, you have to have that internal drive and belief that, What we're doing matters, and we have to do it to the level that is making sure that whoever our endline user is is happy. Mm. So I don't think anyone's being disingenuous when they're saying they need to do this until they're satisfied that it's done. It's just that answer is great in a vacuum, but doesn't account for the real life factors (laughs) that affect us all. That's right. That's right. (laughs) We all have other things that are demands on our time or just other interests. It can be just something that brings you pleasure or helps reduce stress. Mm -hmm. We all have those things. So Mm -hmm. while we all may share the core belief 
that we are aiming to get certain things done until we are satisfied that they are completed. There is that inherent balance to make sure that you're doing all of that, but not neglecting the other facets of your life. So let's talk about what some of that balance looks like. I know when I saw this on your your Vita here about being a former president of the University of Michigan Archaeology Club, Archaeology is not the first thing I would have thought you would have on your resume, but I think that speaks volumes about your interest that's outside of the work. Absolutely. So it's an exciting world out there, and I've always just wanted to take opportunities as they come up that they interest me. The reality is I was working with a grad student instructor when I was at school who was improving my writing. It happened to be in an archaeology class. And because I enjoyed the continued lessons I was getting to improve my writing, turns out I kept taking more archaeology classes, even though it wasn't the background I was going for. And then one day they had their first meeting. I chose to go and stuck around. I enjoyed the people there. But in the second year, they wanted to try something different. They wanted to try and accomplish a goal they hadn't done before. And they considered themselves subject matter experts. But there was a lot of planning and nuts and bolts that wanted to go into the symposium they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, look... I will not claim to know the most at all about archaeology, but I'm pretty good at staying organized. I'm pretty good at setting tasks and goals. I'm not bad at delegating. Maybe I'll take a leadership role in trying to make this thing you want to have happen, and I'm just going to rely on you to be my subject matter expert, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which admittedly is what I do for a living today. I take the stuff I'm good at for the client's behalf, and then I make them be the subject matter expert because as your consulting businesses... I'm going to say, here's a good example. I had a client in front of me last week, had a contract that involved software. I said, look, I can help you with the contract. I can help make sure it has the terms you want, but I'm going to need you to explain the technology and how you use it. At the end of the day, I need your subject matter expertise because I don't know if that's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that reflects what you need. Mm -hmm. Let me do this part that I'm good at and you handle that part that you're good at. That's the same thing that was happening back then. It was just saying, I know how to do this don't know how to do that. So if you want this to happen, I'll be your logistics guy. Mm-hmm. Logistics, I know, but I'm going to need <laughs> you to handle the archaeology side. But there's also some fun. I was thinking, oh, that's a, oh, it feels like an Indiana Jones uh, fun side. And, and this is something I've always stressed is to have that side time to explore areas, even of your brain that you normally wouldn't be engaging. Uh, there's some statistics out there from WebMD and Thrive My Way websites that talk about employees, uh, 63% are more likely, if they feel that their manager is burning them out, are likely to be in an ER or have some take sick days. And so if their burnout is happening, that also means they're not balancing that time with their personal and their the business and the office time. Absolutely. So there are limits to what we can all do. We might want to think that we can keep going at top speed forever, but there are inherent limits. And when it comes to working within our team at our firm, we do believe there needs to be a degree of balance because burnout is very real, especially in the legal profession. But also, they don't teach you this in school, and I don't know why. Happy people do better work. Yes. (laughs) So as a practical reality, if we can avoid burnout, your team tends to be more relaxed, which often brings greater creativity, which makes them happier, which means that in the end, they're doing better work. And they don't mind showing up and they don't mind putting in the extra effort when necessary, not constantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple to say happy people do better work. But I find a lot of business leaders lose sight of that principle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The willingness to work with a schedule, I think, 
you know, since COVID is a great example, the flexibility of scheduling, understanding that people will put family first, even that concept beyond with work, but completing the work and how people go up and beyond the call of duty. Sometimes that's forgotten. And if employees feel that they are not appreciated or you don't recognize that they're putting their time in, I know that uh, I'm a brainstormer. I'll get up in the middle of the night, have a brainstorm. I, that's part of the work I do for the company and for the organizations that I'm serving. I don't mark it down like that, but in my mind, I know I'm going to put in the time to help support that company. It may come at different times of the clock and maybe not always at that nine to five, which I think is the traditional. It seems like there's change has happened with that. Would you say that too? So absolutely. People are tending to work in hours, and this is all industry dependent, of course. Some things mm-hmm. you cannot have this degree of flexibility. Yes. But in a lot of knowledge-based jobs, people are tending to work around their schedule. We, we've been talking about balance. And one of my concerns with the use of the term balance is a belief in 50-50. Ah, very good point. Uh, I don't talk a lot about work-life balance. I talk a lot about work-life integration. Mm. There are a lot of times during the traditional nine-to-five time where you may need to deal with a personal matter. There's a lot of times outside of your personal time where you may need to deal with a work matter. So... It's finding the times where you're most efficient, so long as it's not a detriment to both your internal team and, in our case, clients, but for other people, their customer base. Mm -hmm. But one thing I will hedge against is, while I think all this is great and use the time that you're best at, a challenge for leaders is your team, when they receive communication from you, may believe they need to address it if you are their leader roughly around the time you send it. So just be cognizant. Mm -hmm. If you do your best thinking at 10 p.m., Maybe schedule that to go out right before work starts or at the start of the work day versus maybe creating an anxiety moment for a member of your team (laughs) by just sending it off when you're having the idea. So just a little bit of self-reflection before some of that communication goes out. I think that's also some uh, self-awareness and self-regulation with understanding that uh, there are some personality types that even though you say, Don't answer the email. Don't answer the text until you are ready to answer it for the next schedule, the next day, um, whatever that is. They're not always going to do that. They're going to feel the need to answer it. So you're right. There is a really self-awareness that know your team, know the individual and team that you are creating anxiety, even though you're saying, don't worry about it. You're still creating it by sending it. And so you need to have that real conversation uh, with yourself and then with the team member too. Well, especially it's easy for us to say this, but in certain cases, when you're someone's employer, that's always going to be a tether. That's a part of that. So even though I'm telling them not to worry about it, they're still going to want to make sure that their leader or employer is happy. So it's still, even if we tell them not to, at that moment, we may need to be better at regulating that ourselves to try and avoid that temptation, mm-hmm. which can lead to further burnout for our team. If we're reaching out to them at all kinds of hours, And they feel, whether we've put that pressure on them or not, they need to address it immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. Now, can you talk about what you think in the qualities of good leadership? You mentioned some of them with balance, awareness, understanding. We talked about understanding the team. But could you talk about the qualities that you're seeing when you're working across companies on where you're seeing great leadership leading an organization that's being effective? So inherently, I think great leaders are curious because they're trying to avoid plateauing, 
which means they're constantly looking to learn something. And you often see this in addition to in their business life and their personal life. They're not satisfied with just knowing what they already know. They're always curious. Is there another way to do something? Is there something else interesting that I've just heard of for the first time and I got to know more about? I think in order to lead, you have to have a degree of vision. And to have a degree of vision, you have to be curious. It could be, how do we do what we do better? It could be, how do I make my team more activated? It could also just be, that's a really interesting concept. I'd like to think through how this works. Mm -hmm. Because it keeps the mind working, which will have either direct or indirect results for you down the road. Mm -hmm. So I find most great leaders that I work with have an inherent curiosity. Mm -hmm. I think when we talk about with pen leaders specifically, you know, being sharp and experienced and having the education strength of character and being able to stay on course straight on that either that strategic plan or and being have the understand it working in the flexibility on that strategic plan what what quality would you say if you're ranking them sharp strength and then straight of like staying on the course sure so for me i don't put too much prize on staying the course Mm -hmm. because as you gain more data you may need to pivot Mm-hmm. I think you do need adaptability. I went to undergrad and to law school for one goal. And each time I found something else that was more interesting. Could I have stayed the course and made it work? I believe I could have. But sometimes as you accrue more data, you have to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, adaptability is the most important piece. Mm-hmm. I like backup plans. And the reason I like backup plans is sometimes your plan has to adjust as you learn more or as outside conditions come into play. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's adaptability and it's making sure that you either have experience or surround yourself with experience because that's that's how you're going to navigate those tougher situations. If you've either experienced it yourself or if you have enough sounding boards that can help you work through that new challenge. Actually, you're talking about with mentorship and those that would help you really have a critical eye on what you're doing. I'm not always saying, yes, that's great, but really taking a look and saying, ah, not so great. Uh, You've got to really think through, you know, whatever the scenarios are and maybe even role play. I do recommend role playing if you need to, especially if you're not sure how to handle the situation, just play it out. The plan B, the plan C, the plan D. It's critical. And and that's a lot of what working in a law firm is. (laughs) It's walking down the hall to another lawyer as you're about to deal with a situation or you have one emergent saying, so... You handle things that I don't. Mm-hmm. I've been in this too long working this one issue. Let me lay this out for you and you try and poke what holes you can in this. Mm-hmm. Or I keep running into this wall. What would you recommend as ways around this? Mm-hmm. The reality is, as a leader, mentorship doesn't stop both directions. You constantly need to learn from others. And you have to make sure that for your team, you're giving time to them to be that sounding board as well. It may sound counterintuitive in the world of law where you're supposed to bill by the 10th of an hour, but you need to make time to develop your team too. You can't focus on the stopwatch. That's a very good point. Um, What advisement would you say for anyone who feels burnout coming on and they may be in a culture that burnout is not really recognized, that just keep going, going, going. Uh, What would you recommend to individuals who may be facing burnout? So I think there's really two tracks that you have to do. Track one is... You need to do some serious self-reflection on what your goals are and whether or not this environment, even with tweaks, can become that. As a reality, you can't fix the outside situation until you understand your goal. So it starts with goal setting. And once you can set those goals, 
You need to see, do you have anyone you can talk to in your environment saying, I know this may be atypical, but ultimately I believe I can be of best use to this organization if we try X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Are you open to trying some of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if this makes me a better employee, it ultimately makes the company better. I remember I was at some seminar and I took some kind of personality testing. And it basically gave me three pages of result, which claimed to be the best way to use me. So I just gave a copy to my supervisors and said, take what this, if what you will, but according to some tests, this is apparently the best way to use me. (laughs) And if you find something in here that you think we can use to tweak how we work together, let's try it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we got some decent results out of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to swear every personality test is the greatest thing on earth, but once you understand how you work, if you can find a way to implement that within your organization... Mm-hmm. that's what you need to do. And also on the side, you need to find what are stress relievers for you. Find some things that are doable every day, a couple times a week, something that will help you regulate that. And that's whether you're feeling burnout or not, because you may not be cognizant that you're feeling burnout and you're still going through it. I think it's just good to have things in your life to help you cut against that. Excellent. Last question for you. You know, what are you reading? Is there anything that you'd recommend Reading is actually balancing time, too. (laughs) Absolutely. And I don't do enough of it because I feel like I read for a living. (laughs) Although no one wants to read what I do for a living. Uh, So I'm trying to never read a single book at a time. I typically have both fiction and nonfiction, two books going simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Again, it's exercising different parts of your mind, but also making sure that if you're hitting a wall on something, that you're still practicing the good habits of reading. So right now I'm wrapping up a nonfiction book, a series of essays on somebody comparing their life to various aquatic life. Ordinarily, I don't read science books. I got this as a recommendation from a friend and I'm enjoying it and I'm slowly working my way through it. And then somehow on theme, I finally get around to one of those books that they tell you is a great American novel I've never read. So I'll be reading Moby Dick. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing these wonderful words of wisdom and about balancing time. And I'm really hoping the listeners got a lot out of that. And I know I I got some pointers too. Well, hey, I appreciate making time for me. Excellent. So thank you again for our listeners out there for a pin leader podcast. Make sure that you're subscribing and we'll see you next time. The pin leader podcast is hosted by Dr. Shan DeGore and brought to you by Mace & Associates LTD, creating customized solutions for growth in the areas of leadership development, strategic planning, and culture building. Find out more at www.maceassociatesltd.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pin Leader Podcast and share with others.